0: Hello and welcome to Indiana Issues. I'm your host, Abdul-Hakim Shabazz, the editor and publisher of IndianPolitics.org. Lots of things to talk about on the program today. Property tax assessments, gas taxes, mass shootings, you name it.
1: Abdul-Hakim Shabazz, sizing up hot-button social and political issues in Indiana for 20 years. Like the proposed abortion ban, state lawmakers are debating in a special session. He wears many hats. Attorney, teacher, writer, broadcaster, and publisher. But who is Abdul Hakim Shabazz, self-proclaimed comic book dork who also enjoys puffing a cigar and sipping whiskey? Get to know him on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Abdul-Hakim Shabazz was born in Alabama, grew up in Chicago, and spent several years in Germany, where his dad served in the military. He earned a degree in broadcasting and journalism from Northern Illinois University, a master's in public affairs from the University of Illinois, and a law degree from St. Louis University. Abdul eventually landed in Indiana in 2004 and has been covering politics here ever since. And it is my great pleasure to welcome Abdul Hakim Shabazz to the, uh, to the show. Abdul, always great to be with you, whatever the format is, whether it's TV uh, or in this case on the
0: podcast. Uh, how are you? Uh, doing good, my friend. It feels weird to be interviewed by you in a situation like this. But normally, it's me doing, doing this. So, no, always great to talk to you, old friend.
1: Yeah, well, you know, this is a very busy time for you. You are uh, ensconced at the at the Indiana State House for a special session. As we are taping this podcast, the special session just began, uh, technically yesterday, I guess. Lots of hot, a couple of hot button issues. Um, among them, the, the special session was called initially on the governor's uh, tax refund proposal, but Certainly, abortion rights have taken uh, center stage. Give us your take on on what's happening.
0: Uh, well, uh, like I said, we've got two issues. You're right. Uh, the abortion issue, and of course, the tax cut issue, was is what uh, lawmakers were originally called uh, back to do. Uh, then the Supreme Court and the Dobbs decision overturned Roe v. Wade, went back to the states, and so now we're sort of in a, in an awkward situation. It's interesting because I say I say I joke and say my Republican friends. I'll uh, tell you what. Let me take this. Let me go back about. 20 years since we changed about 1995. I was a yep. young reporter uh covering the Illinois legislature and fell in love with this totally hot, beautiful, awesome, amazing woman. Not my wife at the time, because I didn't know my wife yet. So this honey still so love you and everything, <laughs> but they, it's gotta pass. So it was interesting because when I first met her, we kind of went back and forth for several years. She wouldn't go out with me until one day we're all out with some mutual friends. She says, Okay, Abdul, walk to my car, kick like, yeah, tell you what, I like you, I'll go out with you. So I was like, uh uh, I don't know what to say right now. <laughs> so I kind of felt like the dog that caught the car. I had no idea what to do, and believe it or not, I was actually speechless for about five minutes. You that's speechless? My, Come on. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And that's what my Republican friends are like right now over in the Indiana General Assembly. They're the dog that caught the car. For 50 years, they said we need to overturn Roe v. Wade, give this back to the States, we're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. And so now they have an opportunity to do it, and they're finding out that threading that needle is some pretty hard stuff to do because you have the the pro-life people who don't like the bill right now, pro-choice people who don't like it, and usually if two opposite sides don't like a bill, that means you're in the right spot. But this is such a contentious issue, such an emotional issue that they're they're really struggling right now to figure out what to do. Now, as we record this podcast, uh, the Senate Rules Committee passed uh, their version of the bill. There was some criticism about you no know, criminal penalties, so they made performing illegal abortion a class five felony which means like one to six years behind bars if if you're caught or convicted. Um, They also did some other things, but the two Republicans voted no. One Republican said, no, one." I'm sorry, one Republican voted no, Mark Messner uh, from down south. Some other Republicans said, you know what? I don't like this bill and unless it's improved, I'm not gonna vote for it against the floor. So it just sort of shows how complicated that abortion issue and how emotional that abortion issue actually is. Uh, Cause Greg Taylor, who's a Democratic state minor, Senate Minority Leader uh, actually broke down in tears, talking about uh, an issue with his sister she had many, many years ago. So uh, it, it, it it's not it's not fun to say the least over there, my friend. Now with the tax cuts, that remains to be seen what happens there. You got the governor calling for the 220, extra $225, $225 uh, tax rebate. It's in the house version of the legislation. The Senate doesn't like it. They want to give other types of inflation relief. So be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. And my GOP friends got
1: it. Oh, hey, let's go back on the abortion issue uh, quickly, just in terms of kind of a vibe down there at the statehouse. house, uh, certainly protests uh, in and around the Indiana statehouse uh, over this issue. How does this compare or does it compare to uh, a number of years ago? I guess it was, what, 2015 with RFRA? Is, is, there, is there a comparison to be made in terms of just the emotion exhibited at the statehouse?
0: Uh, yes, because uh, refer had more of an economic impact on the state of Indiana, as you well know, because you covered it just like I did with, with businesses, as the state chambers, other business groups coming out against refer saying it was going to hurt Indiana economic growth the development and development investment. So refer ended up uh, being changed. Here, there's not so much that emotional, there's not so much that economic argument, even though there is some of that. But this is a much more emotional issue for a lot of lawmakers, for a lot of people on both sides of this particular issue. So, from that perspective, I think this is actually bigger,
1: uh, and you, you're right. Uh, you know, the economic issue was was far more pronounced with RIFRA, but there are some who certainly still do make that economic argument now, especially as it relates to Indiana's ability to attract and, and keep talent. Uh, are those kind of thoughts being being uh, being shared much uh, d- uh, during the debate?
0: There, there was some of that uh, the other day when when lawmakers first took public uh, testimony, but it wasn't necessarily a whole lot of that. But but you're right. Uh, it does, you know, how does Indiana attract, you know, talent? Uh, how do we get new businesses come to Indiana? And what does this do for uh, health insurance? Because, you know, a lot of be competitive with health insurance. Are we going to pay now for people to leave Indiana if they have to have that reproductive procedure done and they don't meet the rape incest or the mother's life is in danger? So, so there's that whole element of it, too, which I think we'll probably see some more amendments uh, either later this week or next week because it's got to go to the Senate, then it's got to go to the House and the governor still has to sign it.
1: Switching gears a, a little bit, uh, you're talking about Governor Holcomb. What's um, what's Governor Holcomb's popularity uh, index right now within the Republican Party?
0: Um, I would say it's, it's mixed right now. Overall, fifty-four percent approval rate in the last uh, Morning Consult poll data uh, that we saw, but didn't they didn't break down by Democrats, by Republicans, and by uh, independents. So overall, the governor is above above water. Uh, he's got some issues, with as I say, some of the more ideologically conservative members of the Republican Party. The convention they have for Secretary of State, Diego Morales, beat the governor's pick, Holly Sullivan, uh, he had the whole COVID-19 situation, the mask mandates, folks excuse the governor of shutting down the state, which the governor uh, didn't do, just, just for the record. Uh, so he's got some issues with some members of his own party, but the good news for the governor is he doesn't have to run again. So right. he's, he, he's already already sort of in his lane. He'll be officially late-duck status after November midterm elections. But overall, Bob, he's doing what he thinks is best for the state of Indiana, for all Hoosiers, regardless whether Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, you know, communist, or anarchist.
1: <laughs> what, what do you think uh, Eric Hogan's n- uh, next move is? Where, where, what's, his, uh, what's his next race or his next uh, pursuit?
0: Well, there's, some, there's been some uh, chatter that he may actually head over to the NCAA. And take over that as uh, the head. I would say the head in NW, the NAACA is supposed to be leaving relatively soon. The next couple of years, some chances, some talk that Eric uh, might go that route. Uh, there's some, some conversation he may run for the U.S. Senate if Mike Braun doesn't run again. But he's got a lot of options, and he's still just he's still a young guy. He's like me. He's Gen X, so he's got you know at least 20 years left to go do whatever it is that he wants to do.
1: Yeah. What do you what do you see? How do you see the governor's race shaping up on both sides of the fence, Republican and Democrat? How? How do you see that uh, uh, shaping
0: up? On the Republican side, you have basically two declared two candidates: uh, Eric Doden, the former head of the IEDC under Mike Pence, who's uh, declared. Uh, you've got Suzanne Crouch, who is raising money, hasn't declared yet, but will probably declare after uh, the midterm elections. Uh, you've got possibly a Mike Braun who may run, Trey Hollingsworth who may run.
1: We're hearing Mitch Daniels may come back and run for a third. Hey, hey what do you what do you think about that, Abdul? I, I'd be interested in your opinion on that i've heard that from a few people certainly speculation rampant once he announced he's, he's stepping down to purdue do you, what do you think the chances are of a mitch daniels return
0: i say he kind of been there done that i'm not fully convinced that he wants to do it yet plus the republican party of 2022 is not the republican Party of 2004. it's a whole different much more a hardcore ideological it's, it's more the party of, of donald trump uh, than it is uh, anything else so i'm not quite sure if mitch daniels would fit that if his politics and sort of his practicality would fit the the current Republican party that it is today. So that still remains uh, to be seen yeah. on, the, on the Democratic side. I'm keeping an eye on uh, who she was a former head of uh, Jennifer McCormick, yep. the former superintendent of public instruction. It was big on education, uh, kind of left the party in 2020. Uh, so she may run again. So I'm keeping an eye on Jennifer McCormick on the Democratic side, at least right now. But a day in politics is a lifetime. There are a thousand lifetimes between now. <laughs> in January
1: of 2024. Yeah. As mentioned earlier, you arrived in Indiana in 2004, been covering uh, state and local government politics uh, since that time. You mentioned change. What? How have you seen a change in the uh, political landscape, change in Indiana o- overall in the, uh, I guess, nearly 20 years that you've been here? It is
0: It is not your father's Indiana. <laughs> let, me, let me put it that way. Actually, this is my second tour of duty here in Indiana because uh, we lived in Germany for a while back in the Late eighties, early nineties, because so my dad was in the military, and then when we came back uh, for his kind uh, of USA assignment, uh, my parents chose Indianapolis because my grandmother was ill at the time she lived over Champagne, so my mom wanted to be close, close to her. Uh, so my dad worked out of Fort Ben, we lived up in Lawrence, and I just recall this sort of one thing I noticed in particular was that people would say, "Well, I'm from Lawrence," like, what well, you live in Indianapolis." Well, I'm not from Indianapolis; I'm from Lawrence. Okay, fine. You all look alike <laughs> to me. I can't, I can't really tell the difference, but it seemed like. Everything was in silos. You know, Carmel worked with Fishers, worked with worked with Zionsville, and The project was almost unheard of. You know, uh, Hancock County working together, Johnson County, and I think those silos have started to come down. When a, a lot of it boiled boiled down to sort of the regional sort of regional approach to to governing, to economic development, is that you know Carmel is no longer in competition with Brazil, Indiana. It's in competition with Brazil itself. Now that that I think yeah. has been a major change. It's majorly helped Indiana grow and develop as as folks have sort of torn down those silos and started working together uh, on these different economic development projects.
1: What do you think? We've talked about it before, uh, but you you mentioned uh, Carmel, uh, Brazil, Indiana, uh, you know, rural economic development. Yeah, I'm of the opinion, you know, I think Indianapolis is going to do well. I think it's doing pretty well now. I think it's going to do well. I think you can point to Fort Wayne and some other metro areas, I think, that are going to do well. What is your take? Do you think there's much interest or focus on rural economic development because to me those areas that are really uh, challenged and really uh, are at risk of some not good things happening are those small rural communities
0: um uh, yes and that's uh something uh dan elliott uh who is the candidate for state treasurer on the republican side has talked about because he's from a small he's from a small town uh, in rural indiana and so he wants to basically sort of kind of sort of revamp the way kind of way the state does investments in rural areas and in rural communities. Because uh, I want to say there are almost sort of two Indianas that wrote about this like years ago. There's Indiana that's thriving, doing well, and Indiana can still use some help. And I think a lot of it is in those those rural areas because the, the old days of, and you know this as well as anybody, where you where you went, you graduated from high school, maybe you went to work at the factory at the end of town, worked there for 30 years, you, you made a decent salary, could take your family on vacation, got a gold watch at the end. Those days are gone. Those days are not, coming back. And so we really need to to work on that. Also, we really really need to work on our our post-secondary education, because not everybody is ready for a four-year college, which I teach college, so I freely admit that. But a lot of young people need that post-secondary something, whether it's certificate, associate's degree, that sort of of grades 13 through 14 level education, which the the new head of higher ed has talked about, uh, which Welserman has talked about as the head of Ivy Tech. A lot of our university colleges and professors have talked about as well. And so that's what Indiana really needs to do right now, because as we talk about on your show and inside Indiana Business, all these new $1.8 billion, this development here, billion dollar development here, you know, semiconductor plants here. The question is, we, 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 do we have the workforce to make these jobs happen? And In a universe of 3.2% unemployment, uh, we're already struggling with the workforce, so we really got to uh, sort of dig down and dig in the weeds to, to find out those folks who don't have those post-secondary educations so they can get them so Indiana can really grow and prosper and go to the next level.
1: Do you think uh, because you 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 experience it? You mentioned you teach. I think you teach and have taught at Ivy Tech for a number of years. Do, do you sense that young people and importantly their families kind of embrace this whole idea and this need to? It, it, you don't have to go to a four year college or university. You know you've got associate degrees and credentials and other things that you can get and have access into a career. Does Indiana get that?
0: I, I think it does. I think it's, it's 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 but it's like it's like a glacier. It's very slow, slow moving because there's still a significant chunk of people who don't necessarily value not necessarily, almost necessarily value a college degree, but don't value, don't necessarily value that post secondary education. You need that uh, not only for yourself and your family, but also for your communities as well to get ahead. Because everyone everyone businesses want an educated workforce, and not not said not, not, not a master's or a PhD or or a lawyer or doctor, but just someone who can who can think and who can reason. And that's what I think Indiana really needs to focus on over the course of the next 10 to 15, 20 years.
1: Who is, uh, before we go to break here, I want you to to define abdul Hakeem Shabazz. Abdul, who are you? You you have done, I think, really a great job of of creating a brand. You're uh, you're on TV, you're on radio, you're out there. What's one thing that maybe people don't know or don't understand about uh, Abdul?
0: I'm a big comic book dork. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm a giant, huge Superman, Marvel Universe, DC Comics fan. Much of the dismay of my wife at our garage. <laughs> yeah, because where did that uh, come
1: from? Where where did that that love for comic books come from?
0: Ever since I was five years old, just because I always used to love to read when I was a kid, and so comic books was my thing. And I remember my my dad complaining that I was spending too much money on comic books. My mother said, "Hey, he's reading. And he's not spending his money on drugs. So shut up and leave him alone." <laughs> like, mom, that's why I love you. No, no I love you every day for that or things like that.
1: So, you know, a dichotomy, you love comic books. You also love cigars, right? I love
0: comic books, cigars, uh, whiskey, and, and video games. So okay. I'm basically a giant 15-year-old boy in a 57-year-old <laughs> man's body.
1: <laughs> I love it. Hey, we're much more ahead uh, with Abdul-Hakim Shabazz. Uh, we're going to talk uh, the early days and uh, maybe what he sees as uh, his next adventure as well. That's when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. Stay with us welcome back to the business and beyond podcast presented by pnc my guest this week is political commentator analyst educator Author, I could add a whole lot more to uh, to the list. Uh, Abdul, appreciate you taking the time to be with me on the podcast. I want to start back in the day. You grew up in Illinois. Give us uh, kind of what uh, what growing up in Illinois was like back in the day.
0: I uh, grew up in Chicago, even though I was born in uh, Alabama, but don't tell anybody. I try to keep that on the on the <laughs> on the down low. Uh, grew up in Chicago, uh, South Side of town. Uh, went to a uh, very middle upper middle class African American neighborhood on the South Side went to college preparatory high school, graduated from college in 1986, and then uh, actually I was gonna to go to the University of Michigan, uh, but instead my dad uh, sort of re-enlisted in the military. So I went to school in Europe for four years, so that's where our family was moving to. Been several years at the University of Maryland at their, so they had a Munich division for college students and for military folks, did that for a couple of years, came back to Northern Illinois University, uh, got my degree in television and radio. I uh, went to work in Bloomington, Illinois, for a while, literally right up the road, up, right up I-74. About 140 miles and some change, did radio there, went to grad school at the University of Illinois, got my master's degree in government politics, went back to being a political reporter, and then went to work for the Illinois Attorney General, and then went to law school in St. Louis, which i actually went part-time. So it was and so instead of going to school, you know, Monday through Friday, I went Monday through Friday, but I had a uh, hour and a half commute three, four nights a week for three and a half years. So wow that was fun. I'll never forget. Uh one time I was back home in Springfield. My wife and I were visiting uh, friends from uh, just friends from my uh, Springfield days. So we drive to St. Louis to go visit friends from law school days. And about a half hour in the drive. My wife was like, honey, you drove this? Like, yep. Every day, like pretty much for three and a half years. Yep. Just like, wow. I <laughs> Yep. That's why. That's I impressive. That's why I don't take excuses. You can get it done. If you, if you want, if you put your mind to it, you can get it done.
1: Yeah. Isn't that something? And you, you think about it when you're doing it. You're just, you're just focused. You're going to do it and you get it done.
0: And the funny thing was in the in the car. Just to carbonate myself, I'd have a class on tape, so listen like a contract class or a property law class on tape, and so just kind of listen to the lecture ahead of time. And so when I got to the lecture and school, I could ask a question and press like, "Mr. Schmiles, that's a very good question. Where did you get that from?" Well, I just did my homework, <laughs> sir. <laughs>
1: hey, what was your time in Europe like? What was that experience like? And did that shape you in any way uh, after your departure from Europe?
0: Uh, yes, Europe was fun, but it took me a little while to get used to it. Uh, because I just graduated from high school. We'd moved for the first time into a foreign country and I was off to college for the first time. So I'd take all four of those things uh, together. I had my two suitcases and a very heavy typewriter. My dad put me on a train and said, Son, I love you, but I got to take care of your mom and your brother. So here's a couple hundred marks, here's my phone number. Call me when you get there. And so on the four and a half hour train ride, I was just kind of thinking to myself, like, well, I can dislike it and nothing's gonna change. I'd just be miserable for the next four years, or we can, we can actually learn to, learn to enjoy it. And I did I actually had a lot of fun and didn't really want to come back when my time was up, but I had to, to finish my education. And the one thing I learned was I really learned to appreciate the United States of America. When I, when I got off the plane, I wanted to do the Pope thing and kiss the ground and kiss the tarmac, like, Hey, we're, we're back, but no, uh, living overseas, you realize how much you have, how much we have here, how much other people don't have in other parts of the world. Uh, uh, one of my trips uh in europe was actually went to czechoslovakia during the during the 70th anniversary of the russian revolution and so here are all these these beautiful buildings and churches that have been around for like you know, almost a 100 hundreds of years all covered with ash and soot because just the just the dirt and the pollution is like wow this is this is just this is just really really bad and while we're on our tour bus uh there was a line outside of what i thought was a movie theater and so i asked our tour guys so what movie are those people going to see because Normally in America, you see a long line outside the building. There's people going to the movies. Like that's not a movie theater. That's a grocery store. Ah, like, wow. wow! And that really made me appreciate what we what we have here in this country. Now, are we perfect? Not by stretch of imagination, but it's the best darn thing it's the best starting thing we got going on this planet right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, where did your interest in politics come from?
0: Actually, my interest I always had. I was always kind of interested in politics mm-hmm. in high school, but it really didn't kick in until uh, I actually ended up changing majors uh, because I was actually a computer science engineering major in in my first couple years of school. Then one day I was like bored out of my mind. So I just remember calling my dad's like, hey, dad, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, "Okay, fine, son, you can change your major. But FYI, you got four younger brothers. So your mom and I have got got a budget and a schedule. So figure out what you're going to do and get it done. And so uh, my roommate at the time was the director of the student television station. And so we went and watch one of his showings. I was like, "So Abdul, what do you think?" Like, this is crap. This isn't funny. This is stupid. Nobody likes this. Like, do you think you can do better? Like, yeah. Like, okay, well, come by tomorrow and do an audition. So they gave me a script. I read. I was like, "This is stupid." Nobody threw it away. And like, I wrote my own material. They said, "Hey, you want your own show?" So I had my own. I had my own little pre-produced TV show called Up Abdul's Alley. It was like, it was like Andy Rooney with a little bit more attitude and a little bit more melanin. So I did that and then uh our sponsor or our faculty advisor I was like, "Yeah, hey, I like this television thing. So where can I go in the United States to to do this?" Like, actually, uh right outside Chicago, Northern Illinois University. So that's what he recommended. I was like, "Holy crap, that's where that's where I'm from." So I went there, uh did television and then just developed an interest in politics as as sort of an area of, of covering government and I've loved politics ever since.
1: Yeah. You you mentioned attitude. You you'd like to bring some attitude a little pizzazz to the to the table right
0: oh yeah because television is still a visual medium and you got to keep people interested and if you don't keep keep their attention not by going off the wall like howard stern crazy but uh you got to you got to keep it interesting you got to keep it thoughtful i, I like to think of it sort of almost sort of like infotainment so to speak yep. yeah is, is is my thing because if you get people's attention then hopefully they'll listen to what you have to say and then take you seriously Speaking of
1: getting someone's attention, you got the attention of Attorney General Todd Rakina. Uh, <laughs> on several <laughs> occasions. You know, so, yeah. Well, tell us uh, uh in particular uh regarding access to uh to a news conference. Ha- talk about how that, that all played out because I thought that was that was an interesting uh situation <laughs> to say the least.
0: Uh yeah, back in uh October, I got an email from the Attorney General's office that hey, you have a news conference on robocalls. So I figure, okay, well, Todd and I haven't had the best relationship lately, so we'll go, and hopefully, this will kind of maybe sort of straighten things out. Um, so I go. It was it was also uh, the day that the head of the Urban League was speaking at the at the Economic Club lunch over at the Convention Center. So I went to the lunch, and then I walk over to the Capitol Building, and so while I was at the Urban League lunch, I got an email saying, "I'm sorry, Bill, you're you're not credentialed media, you can't come in." Like what the heck? Because they said. Uh, only credential media allowed because we're still in sort of the COVID universe. So I probably know how many people are going to show up and be there and the whole nine yards to make arrangements. So we can all social just like, okay, fine. So, but I didn't get the email until I actually got to the attorney general's office and the spokesperson like, sorry, I'm doing, you can't come in. Like, what do you mean I can't come in? Because you're not credentialed. Yes, I am. So I showed up my media badge. So oh, credential record, right like, sorry, you can't come in. You're not credentialed. Like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I, like, okay, if this is game, you guys want to play fine, because I can play it too, and I can play it much better than you can, because, all right, I, so, I, so I went in, uh, sent, the, sent the AG's office an email first, like, hey, what's the policy for credential media, they never got back to me, heard crickets, and so I called my friends at the ACLU, like, hey, guys, I got something for you, if you're interested, like, the Attorney General blocked me, banned me from the zoo's conferences, they just had a really bad day at the legislature, that just made their day, and then eventually, we settled, uh, and I have access to the Attorney General's zoo's conferences again, like, the, the First Amendment says you can't keep out the you invite know, one media, and you got to invite them all unless you're disrupting or being a pain in the butt, that sort of thing. And what was interesting when I felt like when I finally got access, the attorney general has not had a news conference in his office since October. So so the way to keep me out is to keep so, so to keep everybody everybody out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I wish I was making this up, but I'm not.
1: <laughs> Very interesting. Hey, did you have mentors uh, along the way? or I'm sure you did, but any that really stand out, that, that really helped shape you?
0: Uh, yes, a couple gentlemen. Uh, one gentleman's name was Steve Vogel. Another gentleman's name was Mark Maglier. They're both news directors at the radio station I was at in Bloomington, Illinois. They basically told me, hey, pull your head out of your butt. Stop being so damn arrogant and pay attention to what's going on around you. And so because of them, I really learned to to pay attention to local government, what was going on, what's really important to, to pay attention to. Also, can they also help me keep my sense of humor. Like, don't lose your sense of humor. Be yourself, and they also told me too, that I can be biased, but I also, also need to be fair. And that's always the approach I've taken in my journalism as a commentator. Yes, I have my opinion, but I always treat people fairly, which is why uh, on IndiePolitics.org, my website, whenever I play interviews, I try to play the interviews in their entirety. I don't edit for content or maybe maybe if somebody pauses, maybe cut out the pause with the ums and the ahs, but I always try to play people in their entirety, because the one thing I don't like doing is taking someone out of context. And so instead of a 30-second soundbite, yeah, the interview will be about eight to 18 minutes long. But I think it's important so the audience fully understands, fully appreciates what's going on with their state and local governments.
1: Indypolitics.org, you've grown that as well. Uh, so give us a thumbnail description uh, of Indypolitics.org.
0: When I invented Indypolitics.org, my goal was to be basically Politico, but for Indiana.
1: Uh-huh, yeah.
0: Some days we do some well, some days uh, not so well. Uh, but that was that was my goal. Because I've always been a firm believer in covering local government. Because I always said, because you get the national stuff anywhere. That you can, you know, turn on the radio, newspaper, whatever. But really good local journalism uh, has been hurting for a while, and so my goal has always been, I say, local government is the government closest to you because they can reach your pocket the fastest and the quickest. And so somebody's got to be there at a, you know, city council, school board meeting, you know, the state house to figure out what's going on. And so when I got here in Indiana- Indianapolis back in 2004, I had a really steep learning curve. So I went to basically every everything so whether it was like i said city hall school board uh, we always went and then people pay attention to you because number one you're there and number two you get a reputation for knowing what you're talking about because you're actually there in the room at the time and also when and, and coupling that with my journalism background my legal background you know playing interviews in their entirety i think that really helped uh, helped our reputation and sort of build things along
1: you were a busy guy doing a number of things. What's what's next for for Abdul looking five, 10 years out, or have you have you thought that far ahead on what you where you want to be?
0: Well, actually, I'll say this to you because I like you and the few thousand people <laughs> who listen to your podcast. I'm actually thinking about running for public office in the next couple of years. Really? Yeah. Not really sure which public office just yet, but just kind of thinking about it, talking to some friends, like, hey, what's sort of the next next big big thing? so what what
1: you're not sure what office what are you thinking about
0: um maybe mayor well but like I said we got a long way to go to figure all that out mostly got to convince yeah. my wife this is a smart thing to do <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's uh that's something that would interest you clearly yeah,
0: right? it's, it's, it's in the back of my head let's put it that
1: way okay good that's something to follow up on uh to be sure abdul hakim shabazz uh your good friend i really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast and continued. Success to you with all the things that uh, you are into and maybe that next uh, that next phase, if you will, politics. We'll be covering that very closely.
0: Thanks. Hey, Thank you, Gary. Appreciate you all as always. All right.
1: And thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It's a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes and get Indiana Business News twenty four seven. All you have to do is go to insideindianabusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.